Like a deer in the headlights or gum in your hair, what got you here will not get you there. Join us as business owners get unstuck in real time on the business building struggles we all share. Welcome to the Business Breakthrough Podcast. And here's your host, Esty Rand. Welcome to episode 74 of the Business Breakthrough Podcast. My guest and I have already had a whole bunch of laughs without you today. Sorry. Nathan Seward, welcome to the show. Thank you, Esty. Such a pleasure to be here. So excited to have you guys. Oh my gosh, today's going to be so much fun. Just as soon as Nathan said hi to me, I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to have so much fun today. <laughs> so a little bit more about him. His self-discovery took him from pilot to coach, and now he teaches his clients to do the same. Um, so I guess they're all pilots, and I'm joking. Um, Nathan all enjoyed hey, all of them. A successful 16-year career as an airline pilot, I totally want to hear about that, before becoming a personal coach and host of the Nathan Seward Show. And he believes through the process of self-discovery and self-mastery, entrepreneurs can change the world while creating extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. I believe that too. I like that. We're so on the same page. So he supports entrepreneurs to create game-changing businesses that help people and the planet in new and innovative ways, from being a successful entrepreneur in the food industry to leaving at the height of his piloting career to serve others. He's always left at the edge of his comfort zone, taking on new and challenging things in service of being his best self and serving the world. That's a really nice bio. I like that. I know. I wrote it. <laughs> it's a good job. So you're a copywriter too, I see. Yeah, exactly. So, oh my gosh, we could start in so, 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 so many places, but mm -hmm. I kind of want to start with this food service thing because oh, cool. yeah. your whole journey is about like pilot to entrepreneur, but it sounds like you were an entrepreneur before you were ever a pilot. Yeah. I started washing cars for $20 when I was like eight years old and that was my first business. Terribly unprofitable, but a lot of fun. Why unprofitable? Uh, what does it cost to wash a car? Were you paying for the water? <laughs> I just remember at one point thinking, you know, my mother is buying me like turtle wax and stuff and it's like $18 and she's buying <laughs> car wash. And I'm just like, have, there was no expense column in my part of the business. The supplies <laughs> free and I was just taking all the cream off the top. So I think uh, I was making money, but I don't know if it was a great business. You don't know if it was profitable. I hear you. So yeah. I actually, my first business when I was 10, I sold my own handiwork. I made these custom string bracelets. Like oh. the kind you get like on the street in You're Tijuana. An um, and all my supplies were paid for also by my parents because I was 10. But mm -hmm. I sat down and I calculated my cost of goods sold just in case I'd have to pay for it to make sure I was profitable. I have the, I have the, the paperwork. I, I found that. it when I cleaned out my parents' house. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that funny? I think a lot of entrepreneurs are like that from the start. They're just you know, curious. I, I don't know what the financial situation was in your family. We, we were middle class, not, not poor, not rich. Us too. Yeah, it was always like, how can I make more money? You know, because the excuse was always like, we don't have the money for that. No, we can't do that. And it's like, well, let me take that into my own hands. Bring totally. Totally. Like I grew up in a house where like money is air. Actually, my brother and I were talking once and he said this in all seriousness. He's like, Esty, money is air. If you are drowning and you have money, you will live. I'm like, dude, you know, there's no logic in that, right? Like you, you won't, <laughs> you know, it won't yeah. help you. <laughs> down with it. But that was totally the attitude. So from a young age, I was like, I need money. I need my own money. I need more money. Even if it was just like to buy my own candy bar from a candy machine. And I have, I'm also like a control freak, right? So I don't want to, have to ask anybody and I don't want to be told no. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I think we, we, we took vacations in like uh, a really cool part of New Zealand where there were a lot of, you know, really expensive homes and holiday homes. And uh, I think that was part of it for me too. I was like, who's buying these houses like, <laughs> houses we were joking before the episode of like in the 90s you know if you knew a millionaire that was yeah. like 
huge. My dad has a friend that's a millionaire. He's it's so like a rich. super big deal. I know now, yeah. and I like look at it. And I'm like, that's really not hard to do. Yeah, that's really that's not hard to do. Room in the West Village, great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's it's interesting. Like I I read Rich Dad Poor Dad when I was like 14. It was like oh, wow. one of those books I ever read. And so I, I think it was that. I think it was being really curious about who are these people that are affording this stuff and how are they doing it? Right. And like, where does that money come from? It's so funny that you say rich dad, poor dad, because that book came into my experience a few months ago. And like within a matter of oh. like a week, three different people recommended it. And then I'm sitting in someone's car and I'm getting a ride somewhere. And right there next to me, I see a book, I pick it up. I'm like, all right, that's it. I get the message. Read the book. I get reading. it. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. I'm saying, now you reminded me, I have to go back and finish it. Um, but it is very cool. And it is, <laughs> it, it is, it's everything that's smart about understanding how money works, which is not how most people think it works. Most people think, right, you trade hours for dollars and that's how you get money. And the more your hours are worth, the more dollars you have. And there's still a limit, guys. <laughs> that still hits the ceiling. Rich people don't trade hours for dollars. Totally, yeah. I, I you gave, went uh, and, you, and you started trading hours for dollars. Wait, but I skipped already. Food service. Oh, yeah, sure. So the food, it's kind of coming in in the middle a little bit, but I just wanted to tell you like I was sort of entrepreneurial from the start. Or at least totally. I, I did come in in the middle. So you, you, fine. you can it, give it, me the thing in order. If you no, don't no, want that's to. perfect. So, I mean, you know, I wanted to be a pilot since I was eight years old as well. So uh, in a way, there was a conflict, you know, like having this really entrepreneurial flair, but desperately loving airplanes. I think I wanted to be an airplane first and then realized, okay, you can't be an airplane. So what's the next best thing? And I like can see my six-year-old, probably he wants to be a spaceship. I totally see <laughs> yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah. And so he's the next Elon Musk. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I was kind of torn between that. So I ended up going down the flying route and put the, the entrepreneur stuff kind of on the side. Uh, but there was a point when I was like 23, my brother, me and my brother are like best friends and he's very entrepreneurial as well. He came to me and he goes, I've got it. I've got the idea for us. We're going to, you know, fish and chips is pretty big in any British colony. And so okay. uh, fish and chips in New Zealand is just very poorly done. It's a really, there's no brand. It's cheap and nasty, small shops all over the place. Uh, and so he goes, we're going to take fish and chips. We're going to make it the McDonald's of, you know, fish and chips. We're going to brand it. We're going to franchise it. We're going to go all in. And so that's what we did. We poured our life into that for a couple of years. I was still flying on the side. Um, you have kids. He had three boys under five years old. Oh, wow. Uh, so Yeah, we were like, it was tough. It was a tough time, but very fun as well. And, and what happened with that business? Did it work? <laughs> uh, yes and no. So it's, uh, you know, working is an interesting term. It's a, uh, it was incredible. Like we built this amazing brand, which, you know, you can appreciate that was half the fun was just building the brand. So we had this amazing brand that was all New Zealand based and was like really celebrating New Zealand. And we had lots of social media presence, presence and, uh, you know, learning how to recruit people it was just a lot of fun. And the shop at its height, you know, it had a lineup of people out the door down the street on a Saturday. Wow. Uh, which was like amazing. And it's a really part of town and people would travel from around town to come there it was really cool and we got to the point where uh it was not profitable on a single shop basis which is why we were into the franchise model yeah and then looking at what we would have to do we'd have to get two three four five shops to get the whole um economies of scale working and i got mono and oh. my brother was just like missing his kids so much and so we just looked at each other and we're like do we have it in us for this big push, the next big push? And we were like, 
now? I don't think so. Let's, <laughs> let's say we learned a bunch, you know, we didn't make any money from it. Um, but you know, it was successful in so many different ways. Let's just say, you know, it was a success and let's move on. I love that. I love that. And I think, you know, I was speaking a couple of weeks ago with another one of our guests. I call it EBS. I think it's something that a lot of entrepreneurs suffer from. It's called entrepreneurial boredom syndrome. <laughs> the fun part is the building. Once it starts working, it's not so fun anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like that I need to do the next thing. Um, but the building is really the fun part. So I totally hear that. And restaurants are the absolute hardest thing to do. Oh, man. Yeah. I think the, the moment my brother always tells the story, he goes, the moment we knew that it wasn't going to work is there was a, an expert in, in the food industry we managed to get in touch with. And he said, uh, it's a third, third, third model. <clears throat> really simply, you should have a third of your cost be your food acquisition. A third should be all your other costs. And then a third should be profit. And so, you know, if you're buying a piece of fish, it should cost you a dollar. Your fixed cost should be a dollar and then you should make a dollar profit. So you should sell it for $3. And we were selling it for $2.20 and we were the most expensive in the city. Ooh. So we were like, ah. And it still, and it still cost you a dollar and then it cost you another dollar in your other costs and you were making 20 cents. So that's when we realized, whew, okay, that was a real punch in the stomach for us. Um, but yeah, that, that was kind of the moment. I can't remember why I was telling you that story, but that was sort of the moment we realized, uh, No, I think that's very valuable. Just that little piece of information, Yanka, for all of you listening, if you want to open a restaurant, there you go. You oh, yeah. For you. Gonna say. yeah. And if you look at any restaurant business uh, that has been around for a long time, i.e. Italian restaurants, they're everywhere and they are still everywhere. Chinese Why? restaurants. Chinese restaurants, Thai food, Indian food, because they, they sell carbs primarily. And so carbs, you know, carbohydrates is, is your cheapest cost. It's flour and water, right? Like if you're selling pasta, you're selling a- Right, pizza stores. Yeah, and you're selling it for five, ten, fifteen bucks. Whereas anything to do with protein, i.e., fish, <laughs> you know, hot dogs, burgers, there's a lot of, a lot it's of protein. Much more expensive. Yeah, that so is, I really never important. thought of it like that. That is so smart. Like a normal restaurant, right? Where do you make your money? The entree and the dessert, because it's, you know, because that's what the least cost are, and all the additions and the sides and the sodas and like all that stuff. Yeah. If you don't have a lot of that, then yeah. If the main thing you're selling is fish, ah, <laughs> uh, you know, so it's yeah. That's, that's what I, if I was going to go into the restaurant business, I wouldn't say don't do it. I'd go look at the numbers. If you want to create a, the, the most, the best pastrami sandwich in the city, look at what it's going to cost. Look at what your fixed costs are roughly. And then this is what your profit has to be to make it worthwhile. If you, if you can't sell a pastrami sandwich for 1995, you know, then, do then it. it's not going to work. There are people that can, you know, like with the right brand. But totally. There are lots of people that do. Yeah. For sure. See, most of the restaurants I've seen that are successful, they have a whole catering backend. I've never seen a really successful eatery that doesn't having, have a catering backend, not the ones that last. Totally, yeah. And you get that economies of scale and supply and yeah. Yeah. Also, if you were to turn that into a franchise model, each unit would have had to be profitable or those guys wouldn't be able to pay you and the whole thing would collapse. That's right. And we were trying to look at it as an owner-operator model. And we were looking mm-hmm. if, if, if an owner bought it and worked in there Monday to Friday, you know, could we get them making like 60,000, 70,000 a year? So could we get them out of their job so they had their own business and could kind of control it? So that's what we were aiming for. And we were like, close, but mm. not close enough. I hear that. I love that. I love that just everything about that guys. Like I hope when you're listening, you realize this, those calculations, right? Just sitting there. Like I've sat with people who wanted to buy a franchise and they never even look at the numbers. Like, okay, I'm going to be borrowing about $300,000 and I'm going to open this thing. And then I'm like, 
can we run your numbers? Like, it's going to take you seven years to break even on this. Yeah. Would you like to do this for free for seven years? Or would you like to build something else? Yeah. Run the numbers. I totally hear that. Okay. So your pilot. It's stuff, like it's, it's the same with network marketing and I, yeah. I'm neutral on all of it. Like franchise everything, do whatever you want, but do that. Like think about it, just be really realistic because there's huge benefits and there's huge costs to, to doing those models. All of it. Yeah. The network marketing, we have to buy all the supplies and then your, your main benefit doesn't come in selling anything, comes in selling other people, which is what I don't like about network marketing. Right. <laughs> all, all of the ways. Every time I meet someone in it, I'm just like, I don't mind it when you're selling stuff and the stuff has profit in it. Right. So like Mary Kay, Tupperware, like these are network marketing schemes, if you will, yeah. but they're companies that have been around for 50 plus years. And that's Survive something different. Time. Exactly. Where the money mm. comes from actual items, cool. Where the money comes from getting other people to sell items who get other people to sell items who get other people to sell items, beware. Yeah. Just beware <laughs> of it. That's the danger. Totally. Okay. So your pilot, your flying planes. Can you tell me about flying planes? I know it's not business related, but I'm fascinated by, by airplanes also. Yeah. Uh, Does it really fly itself? Do you really have to like do nothing these days? Uh, well, it's it's nuanced, right? So that that's what somebody that doesn't know about flying would say that it just flies itself. But who who tells the plane how to fly itself? <laughs> that's what I always. I say. don't know. Does it come pre-programmed? Maybe it's like a <laughs> Tesla. You like put in the coordinates. You're like, take me there, and I'll make sure to hit the brake if it looks like someone's going to hit me. Yeah. Well, I guess the the acid test is could you put somebody that's never flown before in a plane, and would they know what to do? But pretty unlikely. So there's still a ton of stuff around that. So you, you input into the the plane. So instead of flying it with your hands, you're telling the computer what you want to do, right? So it's not that the plane is just, you know. Do you ever ordered. get to like take a wheel and like drive the plane? Like Anytime you want, anytime you okay. want. So because you do it four or five times a day, you're kind of like, eh, all right, the novelty. But if you come back from vacation, you've had three weeks off, you're like, right, let me at it. I want to do some old school flying. And so that option is available anytime to anyone. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So that, but that's like just a regular job, but that's an insane schedule. Isn't it like you're, you're flying different time zones, days, nights. Look, I mean, it depends every airline's different. The, the, I, I finished up working for the biggest airline in Japan. I was based in Tokyo and, uh, we did a lot of cargo flying cargo airplanes, sort of a split between cargo and passenger. And so cargo generally, you know, like the mail, it moves at night. And so we would start work at 8 PM and finish at 5 AM. We'd go out into Asia and then come back to Japan um and it was brutal like it was brutal you know doing that three nights a week that was probably the one of the there's a ton of reasons why i got out of flying but that was probably one of the biggest ones as i just saw the impact it was having on my health and just not being able to catch up on sleep not being able to recover is really tough that's and so interesting because i as a passenger i never think about that but probably at you least as much if not <laughs> no but at least as much if not more i'm thinking more about the types of flying not the fact that my pilots are like super sleep deprived that right. i definitely don't want to think about, think about but that, yeah. even the fact that the industry how, how what percentage of the industry is passenger versus um cargo i would guess cargo is yeah, more cargo. if i think about it look I, I i don't know uh cargo is huge and it generally they're completely different markets too, like a passenger airline versus say a FedEx or a, a UPS, they're completely different animals. But if you look at a company like FedEx, like they are everywhere. You know, if you fly into China, there's FedEx bases all over China, all through Europe. Like these are ginormous companies. Right. I never thought about that. That's so interesting. So one yeah. day you wake up and you're just like, this is killing my health. I want to be a business coach. Huh? 
<laughs> like, what was yeah. the transition? It's a cliche, ESV, you know, the airline pilot that wants to be a life coach, you know. <laughs> it's really not a cliche. <laughs> it's really not a cliche. You don't, you don't hear that so often. No, exactly. Well, so uh, the, the, the quick version is, you know, I'm kind of got this entrepreneurial bug that's like beavering away at me. I'm flying airplanes. I love it. But uh, the reality is I'm flying airplanes out of the decision of an eight-year-old boy. So by the time I'm in my 30s, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm enjoying it. I've now seen the world. I've made a ton of friends. I've flown all the airplanes I wanted to fly. Uh, and I get to a point where I'm like, okay, there's this kind of tipping point where now the entrepreneurial bug or, you know, the, the desire to make more money, you know, I wanna, wanted to be rich. And when you're flying airplanes, you can see exactly how much you're going to make for the rest of your career. Just like, it's a unionized profession, right? So that the pay scales are all laid out. So I was like, oh, okay. So if I retire at that age, it's the exact amount of money. I don't like that. I want to be rich. I wanted to be rich since I was a little boy. I want to be filthy rich. I want to buy big houses and, you know, have lots of fun. So that, that, that's kind of stuff was starting to overtake, you know, overtake the, the joy of flying. And so I think, honestly, from the time I went, I think I want to get out of flying and go to business full time. I think it was about six years before I pulled the trigger. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a Which lot of is, years. I think a lot of people look at it and go, oh, man, you just made the decision and then whipped up a business and then left. And so I always like to say that just to, to let people know, if you're thinking about it, you know, don't, don't, <laughs> don't take too long. But for me, it was like a six-year process to get my head completely around it. Totally. I, I was running business on the side. I left my job back in 2011 because politics and then finally started doing my own thing full time. I'd always had side hustles and I'd been doing even what I do now on the side for like two years before mm. I left my job, never thinking to do it full time. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, people don't realize people think, and, and I think it's so cool that you and I are discussing this because we're obviously born entrepreneurs starting from when we're little kids, even born entrepreneurs don't necessarily go that route the whole time. Mm. And, and like at any point in your life, like, wow, the world is so flexible today. At any point, you can make that decision. You cannot. You can take it slow. You can take it fast. Like there's so many options open to you. Derek Sivers says, when you create a business, it's your opportunity to create your own personal utopia. And I love that. And I keep reminding people that because we come out of careers, we come out of college, we come out of school, and we're like, what's the, how do you do it? Like, what's the framework? And it's like, hey, the framework is whatever the heck you want it to be. Exactly. Right? Create your own utopia. You never, I don't work Mondays, right? That was, I'm like, I don't want to work Mondays and I don't want to work before 11 a.m. So that's how I set up my business. <laughs> um, yeah, because it's my business. Like, why would I set it up to, <laughs> Derek has another phrase. He goes, a lot of people build businesses to impress an invisible panel of Harvard MBAs. And it's like, it's so true, right? We're trying to like create this business with a marketing strategy so and we true. have this and I'm, you know. And those are the ones that cost the most and earn the least. Yeah. And there's a, that whole sort of, you know, trying to get bought out by VCs or whatever. That's that sort of disease that's out there at the moment. It's a whole different culture. I say there's a very big difference between startups and starting up. I don't really do startups. I do. Oh, that's a good up. one. Yeah. I love that. What a good phrase. You're trying to start something up like that's in the end, just like you're saying, you're building your own thing. You're shining your light and you're earning money while you do it. What could be better? A startup, that's a whole different entity. You're not even building for profit. You're building for potential. Mm. You're throwing a ton of money on it, hoping that it comes back. It's just that it's a completely different animal, right? And it's not usually where people really shine the brightest. And you're spending somebody else's money. 
Yeah, which again, it's fun for a time, but it's just not the same thing as money in your pocket. And I, and, and I always talk about this a lot because people get very confused because the biggest stories are about the startups and the biggest companies and small business entrepreneurship. It really is different. Every dollar you spend is the dollar out of your pocket. Hmm. And that, that's a big deal because we want all the dollars in your pocket. That's the point. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of the things I'm most proud of is I uh, paid off my credit card in about 2009. And I haven't had any credit since then. I have like only debit cards and it's like a value of mine. It's my money. I make the money. If I don't create clients, it goes to zero, which it has right. um, at times. And so I, I like that. I mean, that's, that's what keeps me in the game. That's what, that's how I know I'm an entrepreneur. I love that. Yeah. In my early days, I actually refused to accept credit cards. I was like, if you don't have money to pay, don't work with me. Um, and then I, I grew a little bit and I realized I can't actually do that. <laughs> as a company. Why not? Not because the value changed so much as because I understood that the way, the way some of my clients were building businesses, it did make sense for them. Mm. So like I had made like a, a, a rule on my own value and then pushed it on other people, which wasn't fair. Right. So for me, I still won't do it. Like I'll never, I won't, I won't build on debt. Um, but it, I didn't feel that it was fair for me to force that on someone else who did have a good reason for doing it that way. Uh, but in my early days for years, I was just like, nope, don't work with me. And they're like, are you crazy? I'm like, no, I just, if you can't pay me, just don't do it. Come back later. <laughs> Sorry. So funny because it creates, it creates kind of a scarcity, but you're also, you're also giving them a challenge. Yeah. Saying, Go ahead and create the money to, you know, if you're really into this, if you're really serious, that can be the greatest gift you give somebody. And, and the way I look at it is like when people come to me with these plans, we're like, okay, SD, I understand that the first two years I don't earn any money. And I'm just like, why not? They're like, what do you mean? That's what everyone says. I'm like, that's not what I say. If I was doing this for two years and not earning money, why in the world would I do it? For other things to do where I could earn money. Why would I do that? Absolutely. No sense. No sense in it. But there's so many fallacies out there on what it means to build business. And the truth is everyone has their path, right? Some people, that is their path and it works for them and that's what they want to build. Cool. I just always say you can do better. <laughs> I've never yeah. seen a business that has to be built that way. For me, like I think I've taken a long time to build my business. I'm still building my business, and it's. I was at a, a networking event, quote unquote, a couple of nights ago, and I was like, I was talking to people, and it was great. You know, they were amazing people. Uh, and I was like, wow, I've never networked before. You know, as a pilot, you don't network. <laughs> like, there's no need to network to find a bunch of flight attendants, or network to find, you know, <laughs> that's going to refuel your plane, or networking to find an air traffic controller. Um, that's really funny turn up and there's an airplane there and you fly it um, so it's like man this, this is a new skill for me and sales I've never sold anything before so it's taken me five years just to become comfortable with asking somebody for money even though I believe in myself I believe in my offering you know these are these are new skills so right. uh, it, well the best a, part of sales is when you don't ask for money you just let them know how much it is if they want it oh yes they drop in the wisdom people writing that down I don't, I don't ever ask for money. If you want something, I can let you know how much it costs, but I don't ask for your money. Boom. All right. After that mic drop. Okay. So <laughs> you decided you're building this coaching thing. And, and I, I love this topic because I know that a lot of people in the audience want to do this. And I know it's one of the biggest fields um, right now. Coaching and consulting is huge because it's, I look at it almost like Facebook ads, right? It's deceptively simple, but it's really just deceptive. Because right? anyone can do it and everyone's doing it, but there's really a science behind being successful at it. So what did you do when you were finally, after those six years, like, 
how did you get into it? Uh, so, you know, I'm obsessed with personal development and just human performance in general. And I've, I've kind of used that in my own career. That's how I got to fly big jets, you know, around the world is, is only a small amount of pilots ever make it to that point. So I used personal development and setting goals and visioning and, you know, to, to get there myself. Like law of attraction type stuff? All of that stuff, oh. right? The vision boards, I found a vision board from when I was 10 years old and it had, uh, had a picture of an airplane, a picture of a BMW and a picture of Cindy Crawford playing golf. <laughs> and like 10 year old me was just like, wow, that's the woman for me. She plays golf. Anyway, kind of this thing, <laughs> the weirdo child that I was, but I, I was vision boarding at 10, you know, so awesome. I, I used all that stuff. So I was really obsessed with personal development. Uh, I, I had a really bad breakup in 2014 and I hired a coach to, it was just a rock bottom moment. I'd sort of felt like I had a pretty good handle on life until then. And then it all kind of collapsed around me without me without really knowing what happened. And so very serendipitously, a coach came into my life. I didn't know what coaching was. And he just supported me to kind of rebuild, but not only the relationship, like, you know, we have a, a habit of Trojan horsing people as, as coaches. We come in under the guise of one thing and we're like, right, let's recreate your entire life. Like, Hang on. <laughs> I just want you to help me with my relationship. Now I'm leaving my flying career. So anyway, he helped me really build up and figure out what I wanted. And I really defined, I wanted three things. I wanted to be able to travel the world. So I needed a business that I could do nomadically, like the nomadic life, the minimalist life was super sexy to me before it was sexy, you know, before there was a documentary on Netflix about it. Uh, the second thing is I told you already, I wanted to make a ton of money. And the third thing is I wanted to help people. I wanted to use all of the personal development and, you know, I was the kind of person that people always came to, to, to talk to and get advice from. So I wanted to leverage all of those things. And my coach was like, you know, that's coaching. <laughs> that's like, oh. so funny that you say it like that. Cause like my first module of my course goes through goal setting and we go in those three. I tell people we set goals on three prongs. It's lifestyle, which is what kind of lifestyle do you want to live? Mm. It's financial, which is what is your financial goal, but we pin it to a number and it's mm -hmm. a service goal. What do you want to actually do? That's, I wonder if that really came from my coaching training. I'm a certified coach for over 10 years. I don't talk about it a lot um, mm. because coaching gets a bad rap, which we can go into. Mm -hmm. Um, but those who know, know, and that's, that's part of my Trojan horse. Like I come into a business as a consultant and then I start like changing people's lives and they're like, yeah. Oh my gosh, <laughs> like I wasn't expecting this, but I like it. Let's do it more. Yeah. Um, Tell me about your marriage. <laughs> no, so I don't go personal. I go business, oh. but it's, but it's, it's all, it's business, coaching, which is different. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, mm -hmm. people have asked me like, so do you do marriage coaching? I'm like, eh, I'll do your work life balance <laughs> like that. Like I'll, Interesting. I'll, I'll make sure I give you the space to build your marriage, but I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Right. And when we'll talk about relationships and how you deal with your staff and that will help apply to your marriage. But like, I try to keep those boundaries because otherwise it's a rabbit hole you never get out of. This is really cool. So you and I are on opposite sides of the equation. So I call myself a life coach for entrepreneurs, but not a business coach. And so, I am a coaching consultant and I focus on the business, but the business is never bigger than the person. So if I don't build you, I can't fix your business or change it. Yeah. Because it is the way it is because you are the way you are. So I can give you all the tactics and all the strategies, but I also have to work with you so that you can really implement them and own them or it won't help. It's not just telling you what to do. Yeah. And so it is that blend that makes it work. So that is interesting. Mm -hmm. So, so we talk about life coaching for entrepreneurs. I find this fascinating because mm -hmm. I've had business coaches all my years and never had a life coach. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about common misconceptions. Uh, life coach who are you why is your life so special you can tell me how to live mine that would be the most common i think 
initial gut reaction people have to life coaching and so uh <laughs> that's fine first of all the way i look at coaching so there is no such thing as coaching it's there's no one certification there's no it, it, it's just it's a part word of what makes the field so amorphous and why it gets such a bad rap because you yeah. don't need anything to hang a shingle and call yourself a coach or a counselor for that matter or a consultant for that matter like you just you hang your shingle digitally or, or physically and yeah. then you're like Hey, I do this. And you know, then those of us who actually do it are like, Oh yeah, I met a coach. They waste my money. I'm like, that probably wasn't a real coach. <laughs> That's right. It is tough, but it also provides a massive opportunity. Like for, you, for those of us that have been around for a while, you know, a lot of coaches just drop away. Right. But if you're not, yeah, because they don't ever make it out the door because they're not good. It's, it's a field that if you are not successful, you could have the best quote unquote marketing in the world and you could get a bunch of people sold on day one or two, but you will never build a stable business because mm. after a small while in it, if you're not getting recommendations and referrals, all your marketing stops working because people say, oh, you've been doing this two years. Do you have any referrals or recommendations? And if you don't, you've got nothing. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to part one of this episode. Stay tuned for part two going live Thursday. And of course, subscribe. You do not want to miss this. You've been listening to the Business Breakthrough Podcast with SD Rand. If you're looking for a breakthrough in your business, reach out at sdrand.com slash breakthrough to be a guest on the show. Everyone's got a business struggle. What's yours?